So 2 Kings chapter 5, I'm going to read this, uh, the first part of this chapter, not the entire chapter. So starting at verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5, it says, I mean, this is the ESV, um, I think that that's probably the official version for this church. No, I'm kidding, but you can, you can read it out of other versions as well. It says, starting with verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now some of your translations might say Aram, A-R-A-M. And that's the Old Testament word for the New Testament country called Syria. So it's the same place. Um, He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Verse 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went and told his Lord, meaning the king. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Israel said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Verse 6, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, so traveled down from Damascus to Israel, to Samaria, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you, and will you not do it? Has he said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before them, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God on all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, Go in peace. Let's pray once again. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our minds and hearts to behold wondrous things from out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So have any of you ever started out on a trip and have it ended up have it end up different than what you planned? So 
maybe you, get, you break down in a town that's on the way, or you get a flat tire, or the reservations you made didn't go through, and all of a sudden you realize that you have no place to stay. Uh, when, we were, when I was young, we used to go on fishing trips up to the boundary waters between Minnesota and Canada, up in northern Minnesota. And the first, one, one of the years we went up there, we caught a lot of fish. We barely had to use the food we brought because we just had, we had fish to eat all the time. Well, we sort of thought that was going to happen all the time. And we went up there another time and we caught almost nothing. And we ended up going through pretty much all the food that we had brought. And we had a very different expectation going up there than what happened. Now, when I was in, in my college years, I traveled out to Olympia, Washington from, lived in Chicago area traveled out to Olympia, Washington, and I enrolled in a program where we were going to learn how to live self-sufficiently, basically live off the land. My plan was I was going to buy some land and I was going to live on that land and uh, disengage myself from all the harmful cycles of humanity, blah, blah, blah. And so this Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington, it was not a Christian school. In fact, I think it was on James Dobson's top 10 list of places where you don't want to send your kids if you're a Christian. Um, that and Reed College, which I also went to. So there you go. Um, so I went to the school, not a Christian college, thinking I was going to do something very uh, useful with my life. But God had a very different purpose for me. And it was at this school where God intercepted me and found me, and I actually found the Lord, and God gave me spiritual life. Even though I had been going there to find out how to make a living, God gave me a different kind of living. He gave me spiritual life. So we see in this passage today that Naaman, this commander of the army, had this idea that he was going to go to Israel and he was going to get healing for his leprosy. But God had a different idea for him. God's idea was that he was going to go and find faith in the living God. So we're going to go through this passage today and we're going to see a series of steps that Naaman has to go through to go from literally darkness and idolatry, worshiping false gods, to light and faith in the living true and true God of Israel. So he had to go from darkness to light. And Elisha the prophet helps to lead him through these steps. So we're going to see, I'm, I'm going to go through this in, in six steps. Now don't worry, a few of these steps are shorter than others. I've never been known to preach more than two and a half hours, so, so don't, don't be too alarmed. Um, but, so a few of them are going to be shorter, a few of them are going to be longer. So in the previous chapters of 2 Kings, we've learned about a lot of the miracles that Elisha has done. Now he's he's uh, healed people, he raised a child from the dead. First of all, he enabled a woman to conceive, and then she had a child, and then the child got sick and died, and Elisha came and raised the child from the dead. He did other miracles to help prophets. He uh, made an axe head that had fallen to the river float back to the top because axe heads were quite valuable. He went, and the, the people had created a pot of stew, and it had poisonous plants in it, and he threw flour in it, and it took the poison out of it, and they were able to eat the stew. So he was, a, he was a, definitely a man who was well-known in the land of Israel, particularly in the northern kingdom. Now, remember that by that time, Israel had separated into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. He was mainly in the northern kingdom, although the southern kingdom knew about him. But he was also not on very good terms with the king at that time. The king was Jehoram, probably Jehoram, the son of Ahab. Now, you've probably heard of Ahab and Jezebel. They were extremely wicked rulers. 
Jehoram was not as bad as Ahab, but he wasn't a righteous king. He just wasn't as bad as a very wicked king. So really none of the kings of, of, of the northern kingdom of Israel was ever a righteous king, but some were better than others. Jehoram wasn't as bad as his dad, but that's about all you could say about him. But he wasn't on good terms with Elisha. So that's some background for what's our story in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5. So we're going to look at six steps that Naaman goes through to get from idolatry to faith in the living God. So the, step, the first step is hearing about the God who can heal. Hearing about the God who can heal. Now, uh, I guess I should, I should give you the big idea before we get going because I think there's a slot on your, in your paper there for the big idea. The big idea is that God knows what our true needs are and he alone can meet those needs. God knows what our true needs are, and he alone can meet those needs. Okay, so the first step then in this journey from idolatry and darkness to faith and light is hearing about the God who can heal. Hearing about the God who can heal. Now we learn in verse 1 that Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria or the king of Aram, Aram, you, you, either Syrian or Aramean, depending on your translation. Some say would say Aramean, some would say Syrian. The Old Testament name was Aram. Um, you've heard of the language Aramaic. That comes from the name Aram. And so uh, the, the name came to be Syria. So either one, it's the same country. And it says that he was the commander of the army of the king of Syria, a great man with his master, meaning a great man with the king, and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. And he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, leprosy in the Bible can refer to all sorts of skin diseases, not necessarily the kind that we're familiar with called Hansen's disease, which is where the, the skin eats away, eventually the bones eat away, and it's highly contagious. Now, this could have been contagious. We don't know that it was Hansen's disease. There was a variety of skin diseases that people got. Uh, we do know from the last verse in this chapter, we're not going to get there today, but when the leprosy of, of Naaman is put on another person as a punishment, it says that it was white as snow. So there was a skin disease, and apparently it made your skin turn white wherever it was affected. So he, Naaman, being a, a, a great man, uh, I guess you could compare him to like the, the, chief, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of, at the Pentagon. I mean, a, a, a really high-ranking person. And, but he had this medical problem uh, that was an affliction that obviously plagued him. Um, if, it was, if it was contagious, then he had to stay away from people. It would affect him and his wife and his children. So this is a serious issue for a very great man. Now, why did this happen to him? Well, we're going to find out. We're going to find out that this is how God got his attention. Now, in verse 2, we learn about a little girl. It says, the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. Now, Israel and Syria were on and off at war. And at this point, they were kind of at peace, but in prior chapters and in future chapters, we're going to see that they're at war on and off. Ahab was killed in a, in a battle against the Syrians. And so now they're at peace, but probably during that time, there was also raiders, maybe not soldiers, but just raiders who took advantage of that, went into the land of Israel and, and would take slaves or booty or, or, um, or gold or goods or whatever, bring them back to Syria. And that's what had happened uh, in one of these border raids. They'd gone in, carried a little girl into the land of Israel, and then they had sold her into slavery, and she had been sold finally to Naaman and his wife. So she's serving in Naaman's household. 
And she said to her mistress, verse 3, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So she tells Naaman's wife about this prophet from Israel. Now notice that she could have been very bitter and rebellious about this. I, I was taken from my home. I'm forced to serve here. I'm not going to tell them anything. I hope he rots in his leprosy. But no, actually, she, she apparently had some kind of affection for them. They probably treated her pretty well. She said, would that my master was with the prophet in Samaria. Samaria was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. He would cure him of his leprosy. So what do we learn about this? Before we move to the, to the next step, well, we need to ask the question, what causes us to look for help outside of ourselves? When things are going well, we don't typically ask anybody for help. Things are going well. What do I need help? We don't naturally turn to God in, in, in times of, of plenty. But when, when pain or emotional pain, physical pain comes into our lives, that can get our attention. Now, in Naaman's case, it was this skin disease. So when he finds out about help, his radar is out because, oh, maybe I can get some help for this. If he hadn't had that disease, he wouldn't have thought about the prophet in Samaria. It wouldn't have been a big deal. Also, this can include emotional pain for going through things in our own lives. Now, I, I mentioned that I went to, to Evergreen State College in Olympia, Washington. I was a pretty self-sufficient guy. I was going to go, I was going to, I had my plan laid out. I was going to get some land, I was going to live on it, I was going to become self-sufficient, be part of a barter community, build a, build a house, have a garden, have animals, etc., etc. But after a few months in Washington, I started having not exactly panic attacks, but I felt like the, the bottom had dropped out of my world. And I was afraid a lot. I was not the confident kid that I used to be. So mentally and emotionally, I was a wreck. And I was also at that time looking into Eastern religions and meditation and yoga, and that wasn't cutting it for me. I was trying to do that stuff and meditation, that kind of stuff, and it, it wasn't helping. So I realized that I needed help. Now, I need to say up front that, that not all problems that come into our lives are the result of our own actions. They're not our fault, necessarily. Now, sometimes they are. Sometimes I act like a jerk and I get something thrown back at me. Okay, fine. Um, or I abuse my body for years and then I have to pay for it. But, but not everything that comes into our lives is our fault. Sometimes it's just we live in a sinful world. But whatever it is, God can use it to get our attention, to wake us up to our need. And that's what he does in Naaman's case. That's what he did in my life. Now, someone needs to give us a real answer. So somebody needs to tell the person who's in pain that there is a real God who has a real answer. Now, this little girl was willing to do that for Naaman. She set aside any bitterness she could have had, and she just told his wife, hey, there's a prophet who can help you. In my case, there was a Bible study on the campus of Evergreen State College and I showed up at this Bible study not really knowing what to expect and there were some faithful Christians there just having a Bible study. As I said, this is not a Christian school. This was a real minority at this school. But I showed up and they were actually quite nice to me and I realized that there was something there that was different than what I had and they were willing to just teach the Bible. So you need somebody to teach the Bible to you now, these Christians that I met were just normal people, just like this little girl was a normal person. Sometimes we think, we can't make a difference. I can't make a difference. Well, yeah, you can if you just talk about the God who has saved you. And even a little child can make a difference. Or maybe you think, you know, I'm, I'm really a nobody. I've got no credibility. That my neighbors don't pay any attention to me. But then maybe your neighbor's going through a difficult time and you say, you know, I went through something like that and I got peace from, from my God. I know a lady who, unassuming lady, 
but she just talks to people about what God's done for her, and it has an impact. So step one is you have to hear about a God that can help you. Step two is oftentimes you're going to face obstacles. So I just list that as facing obstacles. One kind of obstacle is you, you might have wrong ideas about God. Now, in Syria, where Naaman and, and, and his wife and the king lived, it's what we call a polytheistic country. They had lots of gods. Everything was kind of up for grabs. And often there was a chief god over a nation, but there was also gods who specialized. And so Rimmon, who was the god of Syria, the, the chief god of Syria, also called Hadad, and sometimes you'll hear that the name of the king was Ben-Hadad, the son of Hadad, the son of the god. Um, and, and he was the god of storms. So he was sort of over the, the, the crops, the fertility of the, of the land. He brought the rain. But there might have been another specialized god who could take care of leprosy. Well, maybe Elisha, maybe that Elisha was in tune with a god in Israel who had power over leprosy. So I'm going to go see if I can see that god and, and maybe he can, he can take care of me. So they had wrong ideas about God. Now, in general, gods had to be manipulated, and the prophets were these people that were kind of the ones that had power over those gods. They could manipulate them into doing stuff. So that was a, another wrong idea, this idea that the prophet was, in some sense, controlling the god. So he goes to the king, and the king says, okay, well, I'll send you to Israel. So one of the obstacles can be wrong ideas about God. Another, another obstacle can be you go to the wrong people. So Naaman goes to the king of Israel, and he brings this letter from the king of Syria saying, when this letter reaches you, verse 6, know that I have sent you, to, sent you Naaman that you may cure him of his leprosy. Wrong guy to go to. The king of Israel was not the right guy to, to, to deal with this. And so he's not on good terms with Elisha anyway, but all he's thinking about is this guy is coming to start a war. Now, you've got to remember that Naaman was not the chief cook, okay? He was the head of the army. He walks in with his chariots and he's got soldiers with him. When you walk into the, 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 through the gate of Samaria, it's going to create a stir. It's like, what, people don't have chariots. What, who's this? It's the head of the army. And so the king is maybe rightly thinking, what is going on here? What's this guy? Is he, is he spying us out? What's, why has why is he come here? Oh, he wants me to cure him of his leprosy? Was he looking for a quarrel? So the king is upset. He, he, he responds out of fear and not faith. Not that he had all that much faith anyway, but he, at least he knew that Elisha was in the country. He knew that Elisha was a prophet. So they go to the wrong people. So this is King Jehoram. He's, he's not helping. So when people show up, I mean, think about, think about the, the, the scene here. Naaman um, is a very great man, and he's got a lot of stuff with him. And yet, we're seeing that this is still not helping him at all. His greatness, the stuff that he's got, not getting him anywhere. So a few things to think about here before we move on to the next step, and that is sometimes the most dangerous people may be well-meaning people who think they can help you, who think they can help you. So th think of some of the stuff that you hear sometimes. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Or you can find your best life now. Or my God is a God of grace. He would never punish you for your sins. So if you look at the self-help section in a, in a bookstore, you're going to find all sorts of people who confidently tell you this is what you need to do. So they have the wrong ideas about God and they have the wrong, they're the wrong people to tell you anything that you need to know. So the obstacles are real. They can get in our way. I personally, when I was going through this time at, at Evergreen State College. I was kind of going to Bible study, but I was also still kind of thinking about my old, the old ways I had of thinking of things. 
And I remember there was a man there that I had met earlier at a, um, at a, a gathering where people got together to talk about how to heal. It was various stuff. I mean, it was some of it good, some of it was, was crazy, but it was, it was a gathering that I had gone to. And his name was Gabriel. And he came to Evergreen State College and he talked. And I went to the talk because I knew this guy and I, and I had, had seen him before. And he said, I'll never forget what he said. He said, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with, with God. Quoted from John 1.1. 1, 1. Look for the Word in your heart. That was his advice. Right? And, and I remember feeling a little bit of peace about that for a minute. And then, but but it, it didn't really help me. Like, look for the Word in your heart? Is that, is that what the Bible says? Look for God in your heart? No, it says God can change our heart, but we don't look for God there. We look for God outside of ourselves. We look for God in the Bible. We look for God to save us, but we don't look for him in our heart. So his advice didn't help me. So we can be blocked and checked by wrong ideas and and wrong people. So Naaman's still not getting where he needs to be. But Elisha hears about this. So step three is encountering God's solution. Now step three and four will be a little bit longer than the, the last two will be shorter, so don't panic. Step three is encountering God's solution. So Elisha, in verse 8, sends a message to the king, and he says, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him now come to me, that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. Now think about the, the key word here, know. Because the word know show, shows up a few times in this passage, and, it's, and, and they're at key points. Elisha says that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. Now, Elisha doesn't just want him to know that there's a prophet. He wants him to know that there's a God in Israel who's a living and true God. And that's what Elisha's aim is, and that's what his actions are going to lead to. So they sent a messenger to him saying, I'm sorry, so Naaman, Naaman comes, um, verse 9. He comes with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now, the chariots... And the horses had all sorts of stuff with them. They had gold, they had silver, they had changes of clothing. I mean, he was ready to, to lay it all out there and pay for Elisha to, to do a miracle, or at least whatever he could do. And verse 10 says, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. So first of all, Elisha gives him a very strange command. Go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. But secondly, Elisha doesn't even bother to come out and talk to him. He sends a messenger out of the house. He, de- he doesn't even walk out and meet Naaman. Now that, to, in Naaman's eyes, was very disrespectful. So Elisha distances himself from Naaman and from the cure. Well, why does he do that? Well, he, Elisha wants to make it clear that the Lord is the one doing the healing, not the prophet. That, that Yahweh, that the Lord is not under my control. He's not like a genie. I rub the bottle and he comes out and... and, and and grants me wishes. See, all this time, Naaman thought that his problem was physical, but his real problem was spiritual. He thought that his problem was leprosy, but his real problem was that he was separated from the God of the universe. And so Elisha is leading him in a different direction. Now, Naaman's angry. Verse 11, it says, he was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. So this is how prophets operated in that time. You brought the money and then they did their stuff. They, they went through their show and then maybe or maybe not something happened, maybe a psychological healing. Sometimes they were connected with the demonic and so they could make stuff happen of a sort. But Naaman, this is totally opposite his expectations. Elisha was supposed to come out and first of all, treat him like he was important. And then secondly, he was supposed to act like prophets acted. 
do something dramatic and then take a reward because that's what they did. They, they took a reward for, for, for what they did. So as a result, Naaman's pride took over and he walks away in a huff. I'm not going to do that. What a bunch of malarkey. He didn't really say that. I don't know if there's a Hebrew word for malarkey, but it was something like that, whatever the Aramaic uh, equivalent of that was. So what is our real problem? Just a little point of application here. What is God's solution to our problem? Well, we've, we've sang about it um, in several of the songs this morning. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Rock of Ages, I, I, I bring um, all the tears I shed, not going not gonna to help. All the gifts I bring, not going to help. Rock of Ages cleft cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. So that's the real solution. People stumble at the message of the cross. Why is that? Because the cross points out our sins and we don't like our sins to be exposed. It's not comfortable. We don't like that light. It's like when the light comes out in a dark room, where do all the cockroaches go? They go to the corners. They don't want to be in the light. We don't like the light, naturally. Now, God can change our hearts so that we love the light and we come to the light. But that's a a different, that's a a very difficult process to go through at first. We, we, We want a safe God that will act the way that we want him to and accept us on our terms. That's how Naaman was. He wanted to come and do and, 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 and approach God on his terms and have this God help him. Elisha says, no, that's not the way it works. We don't want to submit our wills to God. That's our problem. So God invites everyone, but we have to come to him on his terms. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Psalm 145, 18. Okay, so step four then. So step three is this idea of hearing about what God's solution is. Step four is now trusting and obeying God. Trusting and obeying God. This will probably be the longest one. The last two are short. So I'm just, in case you're worried, trusting and obeying God. Now Naaman gets some good advice from his servants. Now interestingly, his this servant girl was the first one who told him to go to Samaria. And now he's getting some advice from his servants. Now, I, get the, I get the impression from all of this that Naaman was not a bad guy. I mean, the servant girls apparently thought enough of him to tell him about the prophet in Samaria. His servants think enough of him that they are going to try to give him some good advice. So it seems like he was a decent guy for a pagan military leader. And his servants come to him and say, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. And will you not do it? Now, the ESV is a little bit different. Actually, the ESV is the only one who translates it this way. Um, All the other translations translate it something like this. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Now that's the NAS, King James, New uh, New International. So the the Hebrew is a little bit ambiguous here. Um, The ESV does it one way, all the rest of them do it the other way. Um, I think that the, the main idea, though, is, look, he didn't tell you to do that great of a thing, right? I mean, if he had told you to give him all your money, go back to Syria, bring him more money, would, wouldn't you have done it? If he had told you to climb to the top of a mountain, wouldn't you have done it? How much more? He just tells you to go and wash in the Jordan. Why not do that? So he listens. His anger is now abated. He's like, oh, yeah, okay. He listens to their advice. In verse 14, he went and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, there's a little bit of a, of a, of a harking back here. So you had a little girl in the beginning of, in verse 2, 
And now you have his flesh was restored like a little boy. Now, the words are almost identical, except that kind of like in Spanish, you have niño and niña. So it's the same word, but there's a masculine and feminine. This is the same in the Hebrew. This is a, a, little, bo- a, a little girl, a na'ar, a na'ara, and then a little boy, a na'ar. And so you're, you're thinking back, okay, so a little girl was the one who set him on this path, and now his flesh has returned back to be like a little, a, like a little boy. And he realizes that this is not like the kind of stuff I'm used to. This is a, this is a bigger God than I'm used to. So a point of application here. Naaman encountered God's solution and he followed it and he experienced the power of God. So submission applies to us in an ongoing way as Christians. So are we willing to humble ourselves and let God into every area of our lives? That's one application we can take from this. Now this, is, this, this question is what I sometimes call the back porch question. So sometimes we're like people and my house is full of problems. The, the, there's termites in the foundation, there's mold in the walls, there's leak in the roof, and the, and the roof beams are rotting. And I got a few problems on my back porch. And I call my friends and say, hey, could you help me fix my back porch? And my friends say, well, yeah, but you've got some other problems. I don't want to hear about those problems. I just, want, I just want you to fix my back porch. And sometimes we treat God like that. We say, God, I want you to fix my back porch. And God doesn't fix your back porch. It's like, oh, God, you let me down. You're not answering my prayers. What's wrong with you, God? You're not answering my prayers. My back porch is a mess, and you're not fixing it. And we get mad. We get mad at God. Or we, 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 we act like God has abandoned us. Or we think that maybe there is no God. But the problem is that God wants to get into the house. He wants to fix the stuff that's really the problem. Back porch, not such a big deal. So, like, what's an example of this? Well, maybe, maybe I've let an area of, of unforgiveness or bitterness come into my life. And I've let it fester for a while. Maybe for months, maybe for years. And I feel like the joy and the peace has sort of been sucked dry from my life. I'm not experiencing the joy I used to have. And I go to my Bible study and say, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not experiencing joy and peace. Could you pray for me? I've memorized a lot of Bible verses about joy. And I've memorized Galatians 5, and 23 about the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And I'm claiming joy, but it's not helping. I'm confessing joy. I'm confessing peace. Well, maybe you need to confess, confess a little forgiveness. Maybe that's the real issue. Maybe we need to let God into the other areas of our lives and let him fix some of the, the big problems. And then maybe the joy and peace comes back. Maybe that's a byproduct once the, the Holy Spirit is flowing in our lives again. So what do we do if we find ourselves in a situation like that? Well, we can pray Psalm 139, the last two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Or, or James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. What, you're asking me about what's wrong with your life? I can't tell you that. No, he says he does it without reproach. Sure, here you go. God will shine light on the areas of your life that need to be shined on if you ask sincerely. So the result of obedience then is that you'll witness God's power. Naaman witnessed God's power in his life. So now step five. The last two are, are shorter. Step five, Naaman comes to know the living and true God. So he's healed of his leprosy, but he's healed of more than that. He's healed of his total inability to know who God is, and now he knows who God is. So step five, knowing the living and true God. Notice what he says in verse 16. I'm, I'm sorry, verse 15. He returned to the man of God, he and all his company, carrying a lot of people with him. 
And he came and stood before him. Now Elisha comes out. Before he didn't come out. Now Elisha is willing to come out because he knows that Naaman understands now. He came out and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That's what Elisha has been leading him to this whole time. This is pretty much the, the, the point of the whole story. That Naaman now realizes that there is a living and true God who's not like the gods that he's always thought about in the nations. Not like Rimmon in Syria, not like the gods that he's thought were out there. In fact, they're nothing. He says there's no God in all the earth, but in Israel. There's one. There's one God. That's where Elisha has been leading him. And then Naaman offers him a present. Well, accept now a present from your servant. He's got all this stuff. He's got like hundreds of pounds of gold and silver. He's got clothes. And this was a time of on and off famine in the land of Israel. In, a couple of, in, in, in the next chapter, there's a famine that's very serious in the land of Israel. And so this is not a time of plenty. Elisha sometimes took stuff took help from people. He would not take it from Naaman. Why? Because he needed to show Naaman that he was not like one of those other kinds of prophets who just did it for the money. So Elisha says, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, verse 16, I will not take anything. He didn't want Naaman to think that there was some kind of payment plan going on here where God could be bribed by money. He said, no, it has nothing to do with money. It just has to do with you obeying God. So step five is knowing the living and true God. In my personal spiritual journey, I realized that I had wrong ideas. I was going to the wrong people, people that were telling me about meditation and all sorts of other things, and I put my faith in Christ. And God met my faith, my very weak and stumbling faith, by opening my eyes and showing me that there actually is a living and true God. And before very long, I knew that there was a, a God who was bigger than anything that I had imagined. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord, not only of this or that little place, or not just in my thoughts, but the Lord of the universe. He showed me unmistakably. So I knew God experientially, not just mentally. So knowing the living and true God is step five. And the final step is worshiping God alone. Worshiping God alone. Notice what Naaman says in verse 17. He wants to be given a couple of mules loads of earth. And then he says in the middle of verse 17, from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord, Yahweh. So he's worshiping God alone. We ask God to forgive him when he goes into the, the temple of Rimmon because when he goes in there with the king, that the king's leaning on his arm and the king bows his head, he has to bow his head because you can't be higher than the king. But he's saying, you know, I, I don't really believe that, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm going through that motion, so will God forgive me for that? And Elisha says in verse 19, go in peace. His faith was where it needed to be. And he wasn't going to try to micromanage every area of his life. He's saying, it's okay. It's okay. You understand that that's not a, that's not a real God at all. So I guess one application of that is perhaps we could look to the New Testament and see when Saul of Tarsus was flattened by the light from heaven and he, and he encountered the Lord Jesus and what was the first thing that he said? What do you want me to do, Lord? That's our response when we meet the living and true God. What do you want me to do, Lord? So as our faith grows, our worship also grows. So let me conclude by just briefly saying that we went through these six steps in our spiritual journey. Spiritual journey from, from faith, or from lack of faith to faith, from darkness to light. And so we saw that Naaman had to hear about a God. He faced some obstacles along the way. And on the way to figuring this out, he was given a, a strange command. But then he followed through on it. He learned who God was experientially. And then he decided he was only going to worship God alone. So God's desire for us is that we come to know and to serve the living and true God. We have to turn from our sin, put our faith and trust 
in Jesus Christ, the one who bore our sins on the cross. Then God will fill you with the Holy Spirit and let you know experientially that you are a child of God. Romans 8, 16, Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We can actually know that. We can, we can know that kind of joy and peace even in the midst of hard circumstances. Let me close with an illustration uh, from real life. I was, I was in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, my sister was graduating from college. This was May 18th, 1980. And I had traveled down from Olympia, came down to Portland. And right in between those two, there's a beautiful little snow-capped mountain called Mount St. Helens. And as you may realize, at 8.32 a.m. on May 18th, 1980, Mount St. Helens blew its top, one of the biggest eruptions uh, that, that we know of in, in recorded history. And prior to that, there was a man who lived up on Mount St. Helens in Spirit Lake, which was right there on, on the mountain. His name was Harry Truman, not President Harry Truman. His name was Harry Truman. Um, and he lived in a house there, and people were saying, look, this, this, is, this thing's going to blow. You need to get out of there. He said, ah, I'm not going to leave. The mountain's part of me. I'm part of the mountain. I'm not going anywhere. He became kind of a folk hero, and stories were run on him, and he was kind of like uh, this, this, this well-known person who was not going to leave Mount St. Helens. Now, everything was fine. The road was open until 8.32 a.m., on May 18th. And then a massive rock wall slide of lava and rock came down and covered over his house and everything else. They, they estimate there's 150 feet of, of lava and rock above him. They've never found his body. I think about 57 people total died from that eruption. But Harry Truman had all sorts of opportunities to leave. The door was open. He could have he left until 8.32, and then the door was closed. The door is open today to let Jesus into your life, to receive forgiveness of sins. But one day, maybe soon, that door will close. So come to Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have created a way that faith can be rewarded, that there actually is an object of faith that's true and real, that Jesus Christ actually is a Savior who can save, not just a, a psychological trick or something that, that somebody's made up to sell books, but there's a living and true God that can save. We pray that you would save us in every way, that we can come to you with not only our, our successes, but our, our failures, that you will bring peace into our lives, that you will bring healing and strength in those areas maybe that we're not even aware of today where we need healing and strength. And I pray that if, if, if there are people in here that, that have not received that forgiveness, that you would grant that to them today, that they would open their hearts to you and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.